the high majority of the world thinks um, Israel's on the wrong side of history right now. And um, I partially care and partially don't care. I partially care because what makes us so wise that, that we should think the whole world is uh, wrong and we're right. I partially care because uh, not just out of that humility, but because if our goal is not just to survive, but thrive and influence the world, we have to care what people think. Um, and I partially don't care because I largely think um, the context is simply misunderstood and um, uh, the history is not understood and what's at stake is not understood. Hi, and welcome to the Z3 Project podcast. I am Amitai Freeman. I am the director of the Z3 Project. In this episode, I sit in conversation with Rabbi Dr. Shmuley Inklowitz to talk about the state of uh, American Jewry um, in light of the massacre of October 7th in Israel and the ensuing war. Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz is a prolific writer. He has over 25 books um, dealing with Jewish ethics. He runs multiple organizations um, that focus on different issues, including foster care, um, uh, Jewish veganism, social justice, advocates for asylum seekers, a true uh, person who is dedicated to, to, to creating a better world in light of the Jewish tradition. And in this conversation, uh, we talk about some of the difficult moments of someone who's been on the front lines of some of the most pressing issues facing humanity, both locally and globally, and how in this moment, uh, tensions of particular and universal elements of our identity come out to play, how to find allyship, feelings of abandonment, how to find a, a sense of security and a real rootedness in who we are. And it's a real authentic and raw conversation. I find it incredibly um, uh, inspiring, and I hope you uh, enjoy it. Please follow us on our various platforms and our various channels and spread the word. Um, Z3 is a place for um, these conversations to happen so that we can create a robust and resilient identity that is not uh, that doesn't um, back away from difficult conversations, yet is clear um, um, understanding of who we are and what we want to be in this world in this moment. So uh, please um, uh, take a listen, enjoy, uh, follow us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on uh, or X, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on TikTok, um, and uh, share uh, widely. And uh, we hope you find some light in this moment of darkness. This was recorded in Hanukkah, and so um, uh, uh, we. I, I hope that it, it gives you some inspiration, some light in, in this incredible dark time that our people face. Um, this is a Z3 podcast with Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Enjoy. Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz, it's great to have you here on the Z3 podcast. Um, you know, we have a, a personal relationship that uh, is outside the, the the professional one, so it's it's always great to have these conversations with friends as well. And um, I know we are in, uh, in the midst of difficult times, but still it's good to be in the presence of inspiring folks like yourself. It gives uh, gives me um, energy and, and, and motivation. So uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that you joined our podcast today. And I'm uh, excited for this conversation. I look forward to it. I know you will have a lot of wisdom to share with us. Thank you, Rabbi Amitai Freeman. It's a great schutz, uh, a great merit, and a great kavod, a great honor for me to be in conversation with you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So what we typically do, you know, like um, the podcast, this is it tries to take the conversations that we have in the conference and and go deeper with some of our with some of our thinkers and speakers who've been and and some new guests as well, um, and try to and, and share with our audience a little bit more um, and show them into the thinking. And, you know, you, you are, you do so many things. You wear so many hats. Um, and and I think from my understanding, all these hats come together and we'll, and we'll list some of the, the things that you do. And in this moment, I'm curious, you know, as you're experiencing through your work, um, this moment we're in, you know, you you run uh, Valley Beit Midrash, which is a center for adult education and to explore big questions of, of Jewish life. You run the network of Yatom, which has to do with uh, foster care and adoption. You work with asylum seekers, 
um, and, and you know, you do social justice work and, and just more and more and more. The list is very long. You're an author. And but but I think if I, if I may, you know, I'll, I'll say it, you can correct me. But, you know, you are very much, I'd say, motivated by um, what we often call this the need for tikkun olam or, or for, for social justice and really to to be partners in God's creation and make the world uh, um, better and kind of complete creation in that sense. And and to me, that's something that's incredibly inspiring. And, and I just, I'm curious to hear, we'll start a little bit like, how did you get to this point where you are? I think context and background is important for folks to understand who our guest is. And we'll go into some deeper questions. So maybe you can like, clue us into to the journey. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I grew up um, very differently from where I landed today. I grew up in an interfaith home uh, with a reformed Jewish father and a evangelical Christian mother of blessed memory and um, was different political parties, different faiths, different denominations, but very open-minded and open thinking. And um, at the age of 10, I really solidified a passionate Jewish path for myself. And as a teacher, teenager won't even differ with that. And on that journey, there were really three pieces. There was a Jewish learning piece. There was my first encounters with Israel. I was in the first year of birthright. And my entering the global south and going to India and um, Guatemala, El Salvador, Thailand, Senegal, Ghana, all over the global south to, to volunteer and learn about global poverty. And all of those three pieces ultimately came together. My sense of what Jewish values and learning was about, my sense of what Israel is and could be about, and my sense of um, having my finger on the pulse of global suffering. Um, and the fact that over 2 billion people live on, on under $2 a day, over a billion people live on under a dollar a day. And there I started to say, okay, well, there's my two different sides. There's this religious Jewish side, spiritual, ritual, learning. And then there's this social justice tikkun olam side. And they're really kind of separate. And then one night in in, in Africa, um, late at night under no electricity, under just a, a flame, re reading, uh, uh, reading some Jewish books, the two started to merge together for me. And it started to become more and more clear to me um, the Judaism that I believed in and that I believed to be authentic, which was the fact that the first Jew, Abraham Avinu, uh, was chosen, Abraham was chosen out of his commitment, Mishpat. he's chosen because of his commitment to justice, his sense that the world can look different. And that to be a Jew means that we don't just care about Jewish survival. If that's all we cared about, then we should close up shop. We had a good run for a few thousand years. We have nothing to offer the world. We're just here to survive. Now, surviving helps, right? But we've got a bigger goal. And it's a profound goal to transform the world, like you said, in partnership with, with God. And I do, of course, think that atheists or agnostics can certainly play a role in that. But this profound belief that God is a partner in the process. In fact, right now in Hanukkah, the first bracha, the first blessing is what we have to do. We have to be madly. We have to we have to bring light into the world. And the second bracha, the second blessing, is what God does. Bring nisim, v'nifla. God brings miracles into the world. So we do our part, the, the first bracha, and then, we, um, and then we rely upon God's part, the second part. Of course, that's more complicated in a world where we don't experience God's presence so openly. Um, uh, and some of us not at all. 
So that's a little bit of the background on kind of how I moved to this place um, that combined Israel with Jewish religiosity with tikkun olam on a local and global level. And I, I have a lot of clarity on that and still very perplexed and confused about a lot of it as well. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So that's an incredible story right there. You know, just in the, the background of a, 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 a mixed, a mixed marriage on all levels, political, religious, social, you know, uh, upbringing, education, all of it. That's one. And that's a very, um, you know, that's a, that weighs heavy on a child when you grow up, you know, not, not necessarily like in the, in the air, but as you, kind of um, realize the differences, right? You know, you know, kids are very, as a father myself, I know you as well, right? So like our kids are very perceptive very early on. They start picking up on these things. Um, and to a place where you are, you are a, a an ordained Orthodox rabbi today. And this is this is a life that you choose. That's that's quite a quite a journey and very, very, very uh, inspiring one. So you you mentioned how in Africa in this moment you had this 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 clarity. How how did that translate then into like um, you know the decision to train uh, and perfect like the professional um, piece of it, right? There's the personal where we find our center, and then okay, how do we manifest that in the professional life? Because I can imagine there are several several paths. Great, great, I love that. So I would say at first, um, unfortunately, it in many ways it was about more creating more heat than light. It was a little bit of an agitational relationship to to the Jewish community. I felt critical. I felt that orthodoxy was backwards, even though I wanted to be a part of it, and that it was so deeply committed to Ben Adam Lamakom, to the ritual aspect, and not to Ben Adam Lechavero, uh, to the ethical aspect. And if it was, it was on a very kind of localized level, support for Shiva, support Bikur Khalim, you, you support mourners and you support the sick. Beautiful, beautiful things to do. But it wasn't thinking big picture about our obligations to Gentiles, our obligation to the world climate change, global poverty, women's rights, LGBT rights. And, and so I've had an agitational relationship to orthodoxy. And then I had an agitational relationship to non-orthodoxy to think that this was also a distortion of what Judaism ultimately was, to say it's all tikkun olam. Well, what do you mean? What about Pesach? And what about tefillah? And what about, yeah. you know, um, what about Talmud Torah? The Jewish learning. And so I had a sense that that everybody was doing it wrong in that there needed to be a more robust kind of combination of, of ethical and ritual commitments of theology and, um, and ethics. And, um, and I kind of moved beyond that um, uh, towards a place of a deeper pluralism of a, a sense that there's multiple truths and there's, there's, there's deep value to learn from each community and that no, and that it's good that no Jew is is the same. At first, I felt like there really ought to be. We should all be dati leumi, religious nationalists, um, or, or religious Zionists, or we should all be certain types of social justice activists, or the like. Or we should all be open Orthodox, right? And then I I saw actually with from Reform colleagues and friends, from Haredi friends, uh, ultra Orthodox friends, seeing the beauty in different ways of being and really appreciating that, and. It's not the perfect approach, but, you know, even to how Rob Cook saw the, the value of Chilonim, the value of secular Israelis in the Israeli project along alongside other types of ways of, of being Israeli. And me appreciating that about American Jewish life as well, the fact that we do have that diversity and that um, one's identity is not just what they're not. Oh, I'm Chiloni, I'm not religious. Rather, it's really affirming. I'm a reformed Jew. I'm a reconstructionist Jew and, and valuing that. And so um, 
yeah, so it really was more heat than light at first. And then that's kind of evolved uh, into less protest of Jewish approaches and more into trying to build my own while supporting others. Yeah, I like that, that uh, that idea of uh, heat first and light. And I, I like that the, the transition there. I mean, we, we both and, and, they, and they're, they're connected. Um, but I, but I find that very, um, you know, intuitively, I find that something that, that I connect to as well. So, so you, so you train to become a rabbi. You get also your PhD, I know, uh, in education, and um, um, you start the work. You start the work, and you start walking the walk, and 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 not just talking about it. And you, and you, you know, you're you're now in in um, uh, in Phoenix with uh, Valley Baking Gosh. And some of the other stuff. So maybe give us, I think, for the benefit of our listeners, maybe like a, a snippet of each one of these things. And then I want to dive into some, I have some questions. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll frame it as advice because I, you know, as a perplexed person as well, how how you think about some of the things that we're dealing with uh, in this moment. So maybe just for the sake of our listeners, give an overview great. of some of the projects. Okay, great. Yes, I'll give um, I'll give a brief overview of each one. So Valley Beit Midrash is a Jewish learning and action center. Um, which was started in Phoenix and is now in Denver and is looking to expand to other cities as well um, as kind of a global platform of Jewish learning and idea sharing um, that leads to action, whether it leads to lighting candles on Friday nights, whether it leads to supporting refugees, whether it leads to being a more honest in business or a bigger mensch at home, we think that learning should lead to action. And back, and back that after we act, we reflect and learn. But that oftentimes social action groups don't have a learning component. We think that's dangerous. And learning groups don't convert to action. We also think that that can be a problem. And so that's Valley Beit Midrash. Um, Uri Litzedek is the, the, the first and still only Orthodox social justice organization. Um, housed within there also launched Torah Chaim, which is about 400 uh, rabbis in Europe and Israel and the US look, look, working to collaborate around, around uh, various issues. And... Um, the third is Yatom, which supports foster children and uh, families looking to foster or adopt vulnerable children in general. Actually, during this war, we've been we pivoted from just America to supporting a lot of vulnerable children in Israel, mm. been making grants towards partners and towards individuals. And then Shemayim. Shemayim is uh, a G Jewish vegan institute promoting environmentalism and re reducing our consumption of animal products. And so all four of those sound very different, but they all kind of you coalesce around a similar mission, a sense of uh, that Torah should inspire us to reduce suffering, build bridges, and combat oppression. Yeah, I love that. I love that, and I think that's um, incredibly meaningful. You know, I talk, uh, I talk to folks, and this will be a, the segue into the more difficult, I think, or the more weighty thing, situations. You know, people talk here a lot about there's a dichotomy. I think, like they, you know, they they pit us either you're you're poor, you're pro war or or anti war, uh, as if that 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 um, equation is the only way to look at it. And I think that what people sometimes miss, you know, I, I got into this whole back and forth online uh, on one of the the platforms about, you know, how I think that, you know, um, in our in our traditions, right, I think we treat death as the ultimate source of evil, right? It's a via vota tuma, it's the it's it's source of all impurities. And that's, a, you know, that's saying a lot in a world that, that, that sees it through, in a world that we, that, that is understood through a lens of, of um of things that happen beyond just the physical right but also like in a more spiritual realm and so if we treat um, death as as the source of all evil in that level then then that's true in every context but but we also know at the same time right that there are there are levels and that there and that intent matters right and there's ways to understand it, that there are times where we where it's where it's inevitable it's inevitable um and so it's not so so when i when i hear you know about the work that you're doing is saying there is 
the world that there is what it, there you know the world that we are in and the world that it can be right this was back to the abraham um uh, story that you shared in the beginning about you know not not accepting things as they are right in our in our role in partnership it's true in hanukkah it's true in other holidays as well and so in this moment you know i, I how do how do people who you know who are working so um uh, you know they're so determined and you're so committed to making the world how can we how can we understand this moment where there is so much uh, destruction there is so much death and there's so much loss of life um how do we how do we how can we sit with that what do we what are some things that we can um, take into consideration i love that i love that thank you so much for that framing so as you know uh maimonides has three primary works he's got his commentary on the mishnah he um, he's got his, the first part of the talmud he's got his um mishnah torah his book of laws um, and he's got his Mornevuchin, God for the Perplexed, his book for philosophers. And just looking at the last two, they couldn't be more different. The Mishnah Torah oversimplifies Judaism. It takes away the machloket, the disagreement of the Talmud, and just tells people what to do. And the Mornevuchin, the God for the Perplexed, goes the opposite route. It, it, it tries to shake things up um, and complicate things. And I love thinking through both lenses, because part of my Jewish learning experience is taking what I'm already clear on and just giving myself chizuk, like strengthening myself to do what I know is good. It's like in the practice of Musar, of character development, I know I want more sablanut, more patience. I want I want to be a bigger baltzedakah, more, more giving. I want to be, you know, cultivate simcha, more joy in my life. And I, I'm just going to uh, deepen my commitment to it. And then there's the Jewish learning experience, which is about complicating things, about seeing things more complicated ways. And I feel like a moment like this, we need both. We need the Mishnah Torah. We need we need the, the strengthening about the areas of life we're so clear about and are unshakable for us. They're core to our identity. They're core to our value system. We can't abandon them. But then we also need to shake things up and constantly be innovative and think about things differently. And I think that a big confusion is that most people want to be in one space or the other. Mm. They want to just think about post-October 7th uh, the same way they thought about the world October 6th. And everything is just clear. Uh, everything that happened just makes more clear that what I already knew is, is exactly right. And there's something like that. And then there's others who just live in a state of constant moral paralysis. that They can't, they don't know where they stand on anything. It's kind of confused. It's all too complicated. And I think that's also uh, you know problematic. And so I think what's important is to figure out where am I totally clear and um, and I need to be loud and vocal and double down on my clarity. And where do I have the space um, to ask questions and to rethink? Um, and so for me, um, at a moment like this, I'm very clear about my commitment to Ahavat Yisrael, love of Jews uniquely, um, and my commitment to Tzalem Elohim, the commitment to the love of all humanity. Uh, if not a love, just a, a commitment to the rights and dignity of all people. That feels like just so simple. Um, where I feel in many ways more perplexed is, um, is you know, how that, how that can always be achieved um, and if it can be achieved and what are the trade-offs. Um, and, and beyond that, uh, you know, how much we care about the perception of others. Because on the one hand, the notion of or legoyim, the notion that we can receive light from other peoples, but also give out unique Jewish light to other people, um, implies that we care about public perception. We want Jews, we want Gentiles to like Jews so that they'll learn from us and 
be partners with us. And, and on the other hand, we have to some, Torah is about doing what's right, not what's popular. And that means doing things regardless of what the, of what the world thinks of us. And so in a moment like this, um, where global perception of what Israel is doing is overwhelming, almost dominantly opposed, um, aside from Jews and some segments of American religious Christians, by and large, um, uh, the high majority of the world thinks um, Israel's on the wrong side of history right now. And um, I partially care and partially don't care. I partially care because what makes us so wise that, that we should think the whole world is uh, wrong and we're right. I partially care because uh, not just out of that humility, but because if our goal is not just to survive, but thrive and influence the world, we have to care what people think. Um, and I partially don't care because I largely think um, the context is simply misunderstood. And um uh, the history is not understood and what's at stake is not understood. And I, in this moment, I more heavily lean towards the latter of saying that, um, that this is a just war, a necessary war, a messy one where Israel's making mistakes, but by and large, Israel's doing what's right and what's needed. And we have to continue regardless of any global uh, opposition. Um, so that's my short answer. Uh, you know, to your first question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's. I will say that I, I, um, I, I'm really appreciative of that framing, right? Of uh, the way my the way you used Maimonides, kind of like, you know, the like the over oversimplification on the one hand of clarity, which is sometimes reliant on on simplifying things, you know, where it has to be black or white, and then, but also like, don't forget, we also have to complicate things for ourselves just to make sure that whatever we're clear about isn't always uh, maybe maybe it isn't uh, so clear, and and I. And I, and I find that to be very, very helpful. And, and, and you know, on a, on a personal level, you know, the way you you talk about this moment resonates. You know, I I was in, in Gaza in 09, uh, in the first round, um, uh, in a tank. And it was uh, difficult, you know, several weeks. Um, and I saw firsthand what it, what it looks like. And I can say, you know, quite confidently that, um, if anything, we've got more sophisticated about how we make decisions, right? But, uh, you know, the fact, you know, you can't ignore the levels of destruction. Right, and you can't ignore the loss of life. You can't, you know, and we and we shouldn't, you know, we we mustn't look away, because, um, uh, you know, for, just for the sake of, you know, our existence, our security is reliant on our ability to make those right decisions in that time. Right, if we really didn't care, you know, to that point, you know, like people talk about Israel carpet bombing um, Gaza, this is not what carpet bombing looks like, um, and and so, um, you know, and 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 that and and still. You know, there's destruction and death, and so I, I appreciate this. You know, the gravity and the weight that you're giving, um, the way to think about it, and and so my, so I, I, get, I wonder, like, how do we, how do we cultivate that, right? How do we, you know, because it's, 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 I think it's an important um, uh, uh, lens, and I think it's something that we try to uh, demonstrate through our programming. But I, you know, how do we cultivate that? How do we educate to that? How do we do that in a communal setting, um, and how do we promote it? Because without that, you know, it's, it's just a flattening of, of everything. Well, um, this is one of the many reasons that I love you and love the work you guys are doing because um, what we need are many spaces and many different spaces. And um, if we only have one space, then uh, we only have one way of being. It's like if, 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 
if the only tool we have, uh, if, if, if every problem is a nail, if the only tool we have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. Right. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people see, see it that way. But if we have multiple spaces to exist in, then um, we can operate differently in, in, in different ones. Um, there's a way I might use my voice publicly to exercise leadership. And then there's a way I may ask questions, um, uh, you know, and explore differently in some quieter spaces. And I think it's very important that we're very deliberate about where, how we use our voice and where we do that. And, um, and I think it's also important that we're equipped to approach issues from various lenses. There's the lens of moral philosophy. There's the lens of halakha, Jewish law. There's the lens of history. Um, there's the lens of dialogue and peacemaking. Um, <clears throat> there's the lens of human rights. Um, there's an Israeli lens. There's a Palestinian lens. There's an American Jewish lens. And being able to play with, um, when I say play, I don't mean it's a game, but um, but I mean sort of be creative with uh, and, and adaptive and flexible with seeing uh, things from multiple perspectives. And for some people, that's just too much. It's just too hard. Um, and uh, and for others, that's uh, that's crucial and important. And um, I think we want to avoid falling into relativism or absolutism. Relativism, where virtually nothing is true because of the complexity, and in absolutism, where there's just one path, one way to see things. And um, but the problem is, this takes an enormous commitment. Most of us have jobs. Maybe we have children or elderly parents. We, maybe we want to exercise or have social lives or religious lives and to really read books, to really listen to podcasts, to really be in conversation and cultivate all very demanding. Then you add on the emotional intensity of all of it. Most of us want to break from it. Like just thinking about the, the, the hostages is just uh, so emotionally overwhelming that how I'm going to maybe I want to listen to music and not listen to another podcast about about the complexity of all this. Right. And so we're very different in that regards. And yet I, I, I do think that um, we have to find a productive discomfort, a level of being uncomfortable, which is not so uncomfortable that it's paralyzing, but it, it's productive to be uncomfortable that we're able to push ourselves to think more d deeply. But balance with, with pushing ourselves to be uncomfortable has to be finding spaces of comfort. We need to have both to sustain both. Um, we need, and that's the value of spiritual community is that we can hold each other. We can sing, we can pray, we can meditate. We can find ways of comforting each other alongside the complexity. We can only do the messiness of the outer world to the degree that we're, we're doing the messiness of our inner world hmm. and that we're sustaining that. You know, just yesterday, someone, an Israeli said to me, um, probably in his 50s and how much trauma he had from his own war experiences in Israel and his own losses. And that this is the first time today that he's trying, he's, he's going to therapy mm. ever. Um, Cause he realized how much these last two months um, has opened up for him, opened up a beast, he said, uh, within him. And I think that that side of it is so important that we are taking care of ourselves. Those of us who are deeply invested in this and taking care of each other alongside that learning experience and that the two will go hand in hand ultimately. So too, we know empirically that our ability to show self-compassion is connected with our ability to be compassionate to others. 
And that's also true that our ability to know that Jews are secure will help enable us to secure Palestinians as well. If we feel insecure, we're not going to be able to make anyone else feel safe either. And so um, these things go hand in hand. And so, um, yeah. And so I, I think that that learning experience is crucial alongside this, uh, this spiritual experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, you know, that's, that's such an important point there, you know, the, and I, and I, and I, and I see it as, you know, you know, as this conversation is progressing like this, it's a balancing act, right? There's, there's the learning and the doing, there's the simple and the complicated, there's the universal, the particular, there's the inner and the outer. And along those lines, I'm curious, you know, you, you, with all the organizations that you're doing, the work you've done over the years, you know, there's a lot of it is very much internal with the Jewish community, but a lot of it's also external, right? Um, and, and you've consistently shown up for others in this moment. And I'm curious to hear, you know, not like, how does that, has has it changed for you in this moment? Has it been amplified? Have you found allyship um, and support were needed? Um, because I think there's a general sense of like, and I and it's hard for me, you know, my work is very, very much inward facing the Jewish community. So it's hard for me to kind of, my barometer of what's going on in the outside is, is skewed in that sense. So I don't, I really don't know, but there seems to be a sense of like a, a sense of abandonment and I'm, and you know, of like being alone right now in this moment. And I'm, and I'm curious, you know, not to, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, confirmation bias for anybody. Right. But I'm just curious, like as someone who really, this is, you know, something that is a big piece of your work. How does that show up in this moment? Thank you. Thank you. I would say um, that both, both sides are true. On the one hand, I've, I have experienced tremendous support. I think of a pastor I've never met down the road who sent me a letter on behalf of his church in support. I think of a woman at the airport when I was getting my card and paying, uh, a, a uh, Mexican woman, you know, came over specifically to share her support. I think about uh, a recent experience, which I'll share in a moment, where a pastor publicly demonstrated some allyship. Um, and how those cases have been really meaningful and empowering. And, um, and yet my larger sense uh, of, of abandonment, um, which has just been um, like no other I've ever known. That sense that um, of the perception that people really had of Jews really emerging. And I think an anti-Semitism to be found on the far right is oftentimes rooted in the deceptive Jew who is um, has all the power of the white establishment and yet uses that power to advocate for the marginalized outside. And so we're fake whites. We're not like the real whites who are holding on to white solidarity. Um, we're inside like whites, but really we're a minority and advocating for minorities. Then I think of the, of, uh, the flip side, the anti-Semitism often found on the far left, which is that we're also deceptive because we act like we're a victim and we're a minority like black and brown folks and the like. Um, and yet we have all the power and privilege of white folks, um, even though, of course, there's non-white Jews, <laughs> large amounts of non-white Jews. And um, and this sense that Jews are deceptive based on how we portray ourselves and what our power is and what we actually are um, continues to play out. It continues to play out. And as we see in this um morally compromised uh, progressive space today that has moved anti-Israel so quickly, that has these very simplistic narratives that um, Israelis uh, are you know, colonizers, 
that, that throw around, around very uh, uh, inaccurate um, and deeply offensive and uh, deceitful words like apartheid and genocide, and that you know Israel is guilty of the worst possible you know atrocities because back in the day the worst thing you could be was a Christ killer, and so the Jews are guilty. The worst thing you could be was to be to, to be a socialist and the Jews are most guilty or be a capitalist and the Jews are most guilty. And now the worst thing you could be is a white, you know, colonialist, nationalist and happens to be the Jews are most guilty. And so um, we see very simplistic ways of thinking that um, that Israelis are white, the Palestinians are brown. And so if you support, you know, minorities in the world, then you must have not knowing, of course, that you know, half or more than half of Israelis are people of color by the you know, by definition. Um, and so um, that abandonment, you know, that from, for example, in the migrant work we do for asylum seekers or refugees, <clears throat> the number of groups we've seen who never speak about any other issue other than um, other than the, the the border issues, all of a sudden putting out, you know, um, uh, anti-Israel statements. Um, <clears throat> What we've seen from chapters of Black Lives Matter movements um, and how they've talked about, uh, you know, their issues of police brutality, you know, being manifest within Israeli brutality. Um, and what we see from feminist groups who uh, perhaps most famously now, um, you know, stand up for Me Too and believe all women, except when it comes to Israeli women who were experience the brutality of sexual violence at the hands of Hamas. And um, so these issues of race, these issues of citizenship, these issues of gender, not to mention the you know, LGBT groups who just automatically you know, have, have at times seen that those who are uh, most marginalized are the ones to be supported, those who are per perceived to be the most weak, and thus that's clearly lines with Palestinian rights. And so all that's been deeply concerning. And as I said, there's been uh, you know opposite experiences. There's an LGBT group, a national one, that put out an amazing statement against October 7th and in solidarity with Israel, it's right to defend themselves that we've been partnering with, um, you know, along along with some other groups. And so I think both are true. Um, <clears throat> we we're not alone. We have allies. We have friends in the world. Um, we've cultivated those, and um, and there are sophisticated people who understand that. And the opposite is true. Whether we're talking about the fail, the moral bankruptcy of many universities, we're talking about the progressive groups um, that um, have not stood with us. And it's it's it'd be naive to call it shocking, but it is shocking just how deep and how quick that emerged. As someone who's immersed in those spaces. Um, and I think we haven't even seen the worst of it yet. I think this is just the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, anybody who's been listening so far, can I, it's very, you know, the, the pain that you're expressing is very clear, even in your voice and in the tone. And I'm, and I'm, first of all, I'm sorry that you're experiencing that, you know, it's, um, it's unnerving and it's, and it's, and it can be lonely. So I, I just want to name that. And I think it's, um, uh, you know, and I am truly sorry that you have to, to, to deal with that on your, in, in the level, in your personal level in the work. It's for sure. And and I, you know, and I I I mean I don't have answers, certainly, um, for this area. But um, you know, I think it's it's there's a question to be asked, right? About like this, you know, we we talked about we threw we threw out earlier a lot of you know verses and these ideas. And, and there's an idea that uh, that feeds, I, I'd say, um a more uh ultra-nationalist kind of approach, which I which I, you know, I this is you know, my background is where I grew up, not that wasn't my family, but some of these institutions I was involved with 
that was certainly a voice that was present, this idea of like, right? Like, we, you know, we're always going to be, you know, living forever alone. This idea of like, the, the, you know, the, the perpetual Jewish loneliness, um, right? And therefore, right, the implication there is that we have to, you know, um, um, always, you know, fight and we, you know, everybody's out to get us, like this very defensive kind of approach, which I think is limiting, right? Which is why I don't attach to it. But, I, but I, it's hard not to kind of sense that sometimes. And, I, and I'm curious, like, how do we, how do we think about this how do we, you know, where do we, where do we turn to, or how do we find ways to kind of um, not go down that rabbit hole? Because it's so, it's, it's not only easy, it's comforting. You know, there's a sense of of comfort, of, of righteous indignation, almost, right? Like we told you, the world's out to get us. Here's the proof. Great, great, love it, love it. So um, I think there's a few things, um, and I think it's so important because the the, the Amlevadad approach, the notion that we we are destined to dwell alone, it's almost virtuous to be lonely yeah. and alone in the world, um, is uh, is theologically problematic. Um, the notion that God creates everyone, you know, in the image of God with with rights and dignity, um, and yet they're all just fools ultimately, um, who just don't comprehend simple things. Um, is is a is a problem. It's also a problem, you know, theologically, from the sense of um, of what our the purpose of the Jewish people ultimately is. Of course, there is the Jewish supremacist view that it's really all of existence is just about Jews. Everyone else here is almost like an animal, God forbid, just to kind of serve ultimately, and one day, you know, learn in the Geula, in the redemption, you know, that the Jews had it all right and can sit in a distance and watch us dancing with Mashiach. Um, and um, I think these are very problematic approaches. And um, and so how do we get there? Um, obviously, uh, the first part is to talk to people. Many of us uh, might just read things about what people say um, or look at, you know, uh, social media and what people say, and we see the worst of it. But we don't actually talk to people who think differently. And just to be able to listen, oftentimes the dialogue sounds very different than the screaming sounds out in the world. The second is to take a, sometimes, um, not dealing with the, the, the rabid anti-Semites and anti-Zionists, of course, but uh, a, a charitable view of those who might find themselves at a different view, a uh, different stance. Um, uh, to, to say, you know what? Um, they're not all fools, but to try to understand why somebody would come to the conclusion they do, um, you know, because we all, on on little knowledge, take stances um, on global issues we know very little about, um, uh, you know, very very often, uh, in fact, based upon just a few news articles we've read or you know or the like, and so how do we um, not write off everyone? as just being anti-Semites or fools, but um, being a little bit more gentle with uh, people that are not foreign policy experts. Um, the other part I think is seeing our own shadow. I mean, spiritually that's valuable, but also just morally, the sense of um, seeing you know, how much we don't understand um, and how we might use our voices uh, inappropriately in the past or currently, uh, you know, to see how it's, it's, it's easy to do that. And so um, that said, I, I, I do continue to, to think that we can only really branch out like that to the extent that we feel secure. And so we have to also find Jewish community and feel secure in it and strengthened in it in order to be able to go beyond it. 
Um, because if we're just in a state of trauma or an isolation, it makes sense that all we'd want to be around are people who bring us that comfort and strength. Um, so we have to achieve that comfort and strength in order to kind of go beyond. Yeah. 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 Certainly. I, I you know, the, the sense of, um, you know, we, as we think about, uh, you know, post October 7th, we have a lot of these conversations like, the, you know, this, it's a little bit, it's a little bit manufactured, but there is, there's some truth to it. Like the, you know, there's, there's the Israeli response or the, you know, nothing about like Israelis in Israel, but the Israelis that live here and American Jews. And there's two different, you know, and, and, and how they see, um, the events, you know, post October 7th in, in Israel and also online. And I think that for many Israelis, you know, myself included, our sense of security was very much predicated on Israel's security as a state, right? It's borders, it's, it's military, you know, like this, this conception of like, where we can, you know, withstand everything. And, and, and what happened really destabilized a sense of security for many of us. And, and for American Jews also, but I, but my experience has been, and I'm curious, your response to this is, um, our the American Jewish identity is much more predicated in a sense of um, uh, security in an identity. They don't they don't feel threatened. Um, their ideas, their approaches, their their are are I'd say are educational. Maybe it's something it feels more. If I'm I'm having a hard time putting words to it, but it feels less physical, right? And so when you see like anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist statements, that feels destabilizing to American Jews in a way that doesn't for Israelis because that's not the locus of our of our security mm -hmm. and vice versa right american jews feel very safe in america generally speaking with all that's going on but like you know there isn't a sense of like wait a second someone's going to come now you know and 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 uh you know whatever uh, do some kind of uh you know we've seen some instances i'm not downplaying that for sure right if it's in detroit if it's in la you know um uh, in new york of course of course but that I, I don't find that to be the center so like there's the there's the physical sense of security. There's the emotional one, and like, how do we how do we navigate those two? I guess is is a question or a thought that's coming to me, and and I'm just curious, and you know, this is not so much of a question, just like an like a like a fuzzy you know thought that's coming to me as as you're speaking, um, and how do we kind of elevate that in this in this moment? Because, you know, this partnership of Israelis and Americans, right? There's got to be more to it than just like um uh, uh you know difference of culture. Right. There's got to be there's got to be more to there. And, I, and I'm saying, how do how do we how do we create that sense of, of security um, is something that I'm just, you know, if you have any thoughts of that. And I have another question after that, but we'll start with that first. Great. I love that. And um, I, I think you're totally right. And uh, so articulate about uh, some of these differences psychologically. And um, and it's almost hard to understand each other because the differences are so different. Um uh, the differences are so are so stark. If you look at the American project of cultivating a pluralistic society that is a nation of welcome to refugees and outsiders, it's hard to if, if that's your that's your sole narrative of of your pride as Jews that we're part of this enterprise. It's very hard to understand the Israeli project, which is not about welcoming the outsider, which is not about uh, primarily um, about um, this melting pot of diversity. It is about Jewish security. It's about being a place of refuge for Jews. Yes, we can do a little bit when it comes to African refugees, but we can't have that overtake our society. You know, it was got to be a partnership with other surrounding countries. And the projects are so fundamentally different to be to found a state as a place of refuge for a particular people, as opposed to a project of a multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-religious, pluralistic enterprise. And I know people who can't understand the other. It's like hard to even fathom. And that's part of the whole divide between, um, you know, I think uh, uh, liberal American Jews 
uh, and, and, uh, and, and Israelis. And, um, and I think you're right around this piece of security because uh, I, I, I think American Jews by and large, um, at least those who still live with the trauma of the Shoah uh, and the consciousness of the Holocaust, um, are constantly asking the question like, could it happen here as well? And when you see, you know, certain political rhetoric, which we've seen in recent years, when you see um, Ivy League, um, you know, uh, presidents of universities who are unwilling to say that calling for the genocide of Jews crosses a line uh, in terms of harassment of Jews, when you see um, certain the, the the massive uptick in anti-Semitic acts, whether they feel small and trivial or large, we're not talking about mass beatings in the streets, but you know swastikas and statements and you know. Uh, breaking of glass and like when you see these and they invoke this Holocaust trauma and you say, where am I safe in the world? Because a common Israeli narrative is that global Jewry is far safer in Israel. This is everyone should make Aliyah. What do you mean? Like, this is your home. Like, this is this is the place you'll be safest. But American Jews are like, what are you talking about safest? Like, Iran calls Israel the one bomb state. God forbid. You know, the one bomb state. This is like uh, you, you're, you're the most hostile neighborhood imaginable. Israel might be the least safe place to live, you know, according to a certain view. And then you look at an America, you know, uh, about, uh, uh, you know, the, at, the, at that opposite. And so you have that sense of where am I safe? Uh, uh, am I only safe in Israel because that's who will ultimately defend us? Or am I safe outside of Israel because of the hostilities we know are ultimately possible there? And now you, co you, you, compound, you compound that with the sense of how safe will we be here and how, how, how quickly could the trends shift? that we would no longer be safe here. And those who watch the trends of, you know, sports stars and what they tweet, um, those who watch the trends in DC and know that whether people like or hate APAC, know that actually money shifts who's in office and the money of, of shifting someone who's pro-Israel or not pro-Israel. Um, and then looking at the university cultures and there's a lot of fear. It's not just, oh, does the world like us? It's, will we make it here in America? And some people pre-October 7th couldn't even think about that. What are you talking about? Like, there's so many checks and balances on the system, whether it's Biden or Trump, you know, I mean, both of them are ultimately going to stand with Israel in different ways, but still strongly stand with Israel. And the majority, uh, aside from like the squad, you know, are going to, are going to, you know, by and large support Israel's right to defense. Uh, like, what are you talking about that it can happen here? And then there's a post-October 7th reality. We see that some of that is really flimsy. And the moment that, there's more money or power in not supporting Israel. We know politicians will shift. Um, and so uh, these are scary realities. And um, I think that many Jews want to either be particularists or universalists. I know many Jews who are universalists, like they're almost embarrassed to stand for Israel. They're embarrassed to talk about anti-Semitism. They just want to fit in. They just want to say, you know, human rights. And I know many Jews who are particularists. It's it's all about the Zionist narrative. It's all about anti-Semitism. Yeah, they'll give a little a little nod towards racism or Islamophobia or you know xenophobia, but really it's just about the Jews. And for me, I want to be a part of the project that merges those two together. My Zionism is a human rights project, right? My 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 Zionism is is a is a is a liberal commitment. That is to say. Um, my my standing with Israel is not just that I love Jews and I want to see Jews survive, although that's a pretty big commitment, but it's that it is a part of my commitment to human rights to say that 
I mean, Jew, it's almost silly to have to say it, that Jews defending themselves is a human rights issue, right? It's not just a Jewish issue, right? Because Jews are also human and uh, humans have the right to defend themselves. And so uh, politically in this war, where I stand, and I don't care what, what's deemed left-wing or right-wing, where I stand is that Israel should do all possible to completely up, up, uproot Hamas from having any, existing and having any capacity to do these kinds of things again, regardless of what the world thinks of that. And of course, alongside that, doing everything possible to minimize uh, casualties, um, uh, even though that will be impossible, and that's one of the tragedies of war. Uh, and so I stand in that, in that pro-war place um, but I stand there as through the commitment to to human rights and through human dignity and the sense that this is good for Palestinians, this is good for Israelis, this is good for the world, and it's oh, there's a lot of pain and suffering that has to ultimately get us there. Um, and but that is needed for security of Israelis and for for Jews around the world is to be able to uh, to respond with with the level of force that, that that's needed. Now I'm open to be challenged on that because it's a very complex issue. On so many on so many challenges, is it really possible to uproot Hamas? Will the world really let us do this? Um, you know, what does that mean for hostages and their prioritization? What does that mean for the loss of Israeli life and the loss of innocent Palestinian life? How much is too much? It's incredibly complicated. Um, but uh, anyways, let me let me pause there because that, that was a mouthful. Yeah, no, there's I mean, there's a, a lot, you know, you said you named se several things that I that I find incredibly important to to kind of uh, uh, just um, not reiterate. Um, you don't need my endorsement, but in terms of just um, parsing it out for our listeners. I mean, the first piece there about, um, you know, thinking about how do we how do we not um how do we not let this moment um, determine like a very narrow version understanding of who we are? I think there's a piece there about how you know the importance of merging the the experiences of a of a more uh, um, a particular ex Jewish experience, right? The Israeli often and the universal, which is for a folk you know from a group that is a minority ultimately and trying to figure and find its footing in a in a broader you know uh, context. I think that's by the way <clears throat> you know that's to me that's an incredibly Jewish idea, right? I talk about this in the past and even just Kiddush and Friday night, right? We talk about the two you know, the paradigms of, of particular universal, right? The creation of the world is nothing more universal than that. And which is the birth of our people, there's nothing more particular than that. And we need both of them to create the Sabbath, like, a, you know, a, a, a uh, you know, using uh, Heschel's kind of idea of like a, a, um, uh, a temple or, or uh, you know, in time and in space where we can kind of separate and to elevate ourselves. We need both. We need both. And I, and I find that to be incredibly compelling in, in asking those questions continuously, and and in that intersection of or or that interaction between the types of Jews or the experiences, highlighting that I find that important, and also like in this moment, here's where we where we have to focus on the particular while not ignoring the universal, right? Like there's a war, war is war is bad, okay? Like the fact that we the fact that we have reached a point where humanity has to be in war is an indictment on human on, on us as humans, um, and I am, and and I and I don't know. Um, you know, there, there isn't a way around it, right? It's not about, like, it's not about, it's it's not even, that's like the pro-war piece is, is it, where that's where I feel uncomfortable. It's not about, you're not pro-war, you're poor the outcome of it, right? Like, you're not like, it's not, it's not violence for the sake of violence, it's not war for the sake of war. It's like, no, in order for us to elevate the, you know, Israel and, 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 and it's in the lives of Palestinians with and without its borders, um, this is a necessary step in that way. It's an unfortunate one that we're here, um, but but it, you know Judaism isn't pacifist. 
uh, and and we have to make sure that we secure ourselves um, uh, in that sense. So I, I appreciate that, and I don't think you know, and, and and it's not saying it's easy. It's no, it's 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 complicated. It's not much complicated. Yeah, it, it is very complicated. And um, what I love what I what I love about the Judaism I participate in um, is that I think there's two distortions of Judaism. One is a liberal distortion that says Judaism is about values, solely about values. And that's monolithic. I've got a value. I live the value. The other approach says Judaism is about halakha. It's about the Jewish laws. Um, and I think that actually what what Judaism is about is dialectics. Tensions between values and values, between halakhot and halakhot. And um, if we just have one value that outweighs all the, all the rest, we can we can distort it all. And so how do we hold on to paradox? And looking at your beautiful name, you know, Yona, Yona ben Amitai, uh, from the book of Jonah, Jonah, the son of Amitai, it, there's a paradox right there that Yona is a, is a name of peace and Amitai is a name of truth. And uh, to be a person that wants truth, wants justice, right? But a person also wants peace. And wait till you hear my second name. Wait till, my sec wait till you hear my second name. Yes, I have two names. It's, it's Avraham. And that was intentional. My parents like they need a met, you need chesed, they need a met. But yeah, oh, yeah, very yeah, nice, yeah. very yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's that's uh, exactly right. And yeah. and we talk in Kabbalah about chesed and gavura, yeah. right? About um, um, how even putting on our shoes in the morning, first putting on love and then putting on strength, yeah. and how those balance each other. And um, and I think it's it's so important for us to keep that 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 voice alive in spaces of uh, uh of extremism uh, yeah. today, in 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 both senses of it. Yeah. And um, um, and so uh, I think this is a very trying time and it's very destabilizing, not only in terms of security, but in terms of identity, as you said. I think yeah. that people are thinking about their Jewish identity differently right now. They're thinking about their political identity differently. Those who are very comfortable in the left, not always finding that comfort right now and identifying as such. And we're entering an election year. Um, we're entering a time of of uh of 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 uncertainty yeah. and um and i think that we say hakadosh baruch Hu, those of us who wake up and say ani thanking god for uh, the vote of confidence to give us life calling god living and enduring uh, or or uh or rooted and rav cook famously says over there that that's a paradox of divinity God is not changing. God doesn't change. It's here to see because he sees that God changes. God is kayam, but also God is evolving and changing and high, very much alive, and everything it has to do with being alive. So too, as I, you know, I said earlier, like what are we clear on and what are we willing to be, you know, what are we willing to make more complicated? So too, we are. Uh, there's a side of us that should be not changing. That whatever happens in the world doesn't change us. It's our rock. It's our it's our spiritual homecoming, the place we go to in our depths in our neshama, in our souls. And yet there's another part of us that's evolving and changing and growing and adapting to this. And I think this is an important time for us to root ourselves, to say, what am I fundamentally as an American Jew or as an Israeli American or as, as an Israeli, um, what, you know, what am I fundamentally in my, in my core, in my essence? Jean-Paul Sartre famously said, existence precedes essence. And there's something powerful to that idea that we create ourselves. But I think Judaism partially embraces that and partially rejects it. Actually, right. we do have an essence. 
Right. We have a soul. We have an image of God. We have a, um, a, a, a deep place within us that we can't move away from. As, as Michelangelo famously said when he was asked, how did you carve the David? How did you create the David? He said, no, I didn't create a David sculpture. I chipped away at the parts that weren't him. So too, we can chip away at these parts that aren't us to get back to that core. And so get to that place of Kayam, that each of us has, has, a, has a core that we need to really get clarity on what that is. Who am I? Who am I in the world? Uh, Ayeka, where are you in the world? Who are you in your deepest, deepest, deepest place? And yet this other part of us that says, once I know that, how can I find the freedom to go find out what else I can be? Not just what I was destined to be, but also what I can create myself to be. It's like the, stu the psychology study that says about children, if, if children have um, don't have a fence in the backyard, they'll play in a very small area of the yard. But if there's a fence, they'll use the whole yard. Mm. The more structure we have, the more creative we can be. The more security we have, the more um, innovative we can be. So too, the more clarity we have on who am I, what do I stand for in the world, um, the more I can also adapt. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I um, That's I need to meditate with that for a little bit, but I, you know, we're, we're, we're nearing the end of our time and I, and I, I have one, just one last, you know, just one last question. No, it's because, uh, because I, I, it's so, it's something that weighs heavy. And I think that there's something that, you know, and, and I'm not, this isn't the question of like, you know, here's, here's the answer. Here's the prescription, but just a, you know, beginning of a thought, you know, we, we, there are voices within the Jewish community that are pushing in a way that, um, uh, you know, that are, you know, for a ceasefire or for ending the war or for ending the violence. And, you know, this idea of like, not in our name, or if we learned anything from the Holocaust and, and I, and I, and I, I actually, I truly believe that they're coming from a, a very authentic Jewish place. Um, and I'm, you know, and, and I have my reservations of course, about, about the, you know, the, the, what I believe to be unknown, unknown to them implications of that position. And I'm curious, like, how do we think about our own community or the, not the question of boundaries, you know, you raise this question of like fences of, you know, freedom movement within them. But how do we think about um, um, transmitting these ideas to other parts of our community? Or how do we bring in people? Or, or, or how do we, you know, how do we grapple with this? Because I, 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 writing, writing off people is always the easiest, right? And I don't, I don't want to write off anybody, you know, from, from a position of Avati Israel of loving the Jewish people. Like, I'm not excited about that ever, you know, and I, and I find that to be a, a an easy cop out like oh you're just you're just not one of us right and but i think that there's a there's um uh a, a missed opportunity maybe or a um um a blindness or, or you know to 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 that voice which i think is you know is it large is it small that's besides the point it exists and i and i'm you know wondering how do we how do we grapple with that how do we think about thank that? thank you so much i i am so angry yeah. at um the jews who are showing up um in anti-Israel ways, in ways that show no compassion to Israelis, have uh, seem to have no consciousness of Jewish historical trauma, seem to um, have no understanding of just how uh, tenuous the Israeli project is and how um, how much risk is at stake, and um, seem to find rights in every person but in the Jew and seem to be um, embarrassed by standing up for Jews and will so quickly use, uh, throw irresponsibly Holocaust language back at uh, the IDF um, or uh, make Bibi look like Hitler, God forbid, 
um, and just horrific things that, that infuriate me and I find deeply distasteful and make me completely uh, question any moral judgment that person can have, uh, any moral compass they can have. And, um, um, and some of them are not just uh, naive teenagers who have not experienced the world yet. Some of them I know are much older and much more experienced and have been so deeply assimilated into uh, the, the a progressive left community that um, they, they can't even see beyond it. Um, and yet, um, and yet, um, there are prophets in all places and there is truth in all places. And that doesn't mean some of their claims are, are, uh, don't have some validity. Um, and it doesn't mean that, um, they can be fully put outside. We used to have harem where we can literally ban people from the community. You put Spinoza out. He's not going to become a Christian. He's outside the Jews. There is no secular space. Where do you go? There's nowhere to go. Today, you go wherever you want. You're a chassid. You leave Borough Park. You take a few train stops. You're in a new world, right? You, you know, and they don't care if we put them out. In fact, it even emboldens them even more, you know, when, when the establishment critiques them, just showing them how corrupt the Jewish establishment is ultimately. And so not only is it ineffective to, to try to put them out, we live in a world of porous boundaries, right? It's, there is no in and out anymore. There's no in and out because the boundary is porous. You can just go in and out of it, but also because there's no center. We're decentralized. We don't have a Beit HaMikdash. We don't have a Rabbanut. I mean, we have a Rabbanut, but well. <laughs> we don't have a, 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 maybe we shouldn't. That's for the other podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there is no center yeah. with the weak, with in, in some ways a weakened federation system, you know, weakened synagogue structure. There is no center. There is no Jewish media that is centralized. And so there is no out and in. There is no center. Um, uh, that said, I, I feel we should not give platforms to people who have these views. We shouldn't welcome them into fellowships. We shouldn't invite them into podcasts. We shouldn't give them a space on the stage, uh, on panels, right? Yes, we can listen to them with intellectual intrigue. Um, yes, we can, um, you know, uh, be menches and take a high road in how we talk to such people, but we should essentially block them from having platforms. We should make sure they don't get into office and that they're not, um, they're not uh, given access to a platforms. Now, that makes it sound like there's us over here and them over there, but actually a lot of them are, some of them might be in our synagogue. They might be at our JCC. They might be in our family at our, at our Hanukkah party, right? It, it's not like they're just in, a, in another space. Um, and, um, and it's important to continue to cultivate Ahavat Yisrael and, um, and the, a, a culture of machloket, a culture of debate and, and, and ideas. Um, and um, while we, you know, continue to see the, the great risk they pose to the community. And so um, uh, I, I'm largely in the camp of infuriated by it and wanting to be sure that uh, we marginalize uh, voices that put Jewish security deeply at risk. And that other and that other communities are using to show that that Jews actually believe something that is not the mainstream view, and yet um, as a part of wanting to build an inclusive Jewish community, uh, a culture of machloket, um, you know, healthy family cultures and communal cultures, I think we have to bring menschlichkeit.
uh, to, to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that I find that incredibly meaningful and, and helpful. And I, what a lens that I add to that is I think there's a difference between like individuals and like a group or an, an ideology or, a, or a, a, an organization. Right. I think that there are, you know, in, when it comes to like, it's, I don't know if it's been a down on a down kind of uh, distinction, right. Between like, you know, between human beings and between the divine or between the, tr the source of, tr the source of truth or of truths. Right. And there's like a, a there's a plane where I cannot kind of adjudicate really, because I don't know what will be, but I do, I do find it, you know, I, 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 I got into it online uh, with someone who was celebrating, you know, they, they said something along the lines, like for every Zionist I lose as a follower, I, I gain a, a, a pro, pro-Palestinian or person critical of Israel. Um, and I was like, how is that a like, how is that a flex? How are you celebrating that? That that's such a painful thing to say. You know, you're, you know, while we might not agree about specific policies, you're, you're writing me off. And, and then yet you're asking me not to, you know, the establishment to write you off. And I, I find that kind of um, tone deaf and, and problematic and, 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 and a byproduct of, of, of the time we're living in where everybody has a voice and a platform and we have to kind of deal with these, a shallowness of, of the conversation. And I, and I, and like you, I, I find it very, um, uh, uh, you know, they, they, the way they treat Israelis is they wouldn't treat anybody else like that. And they use, and they often use, they take license from their own kind of um, uh, belonging in order to make a statement they would never make about any other group. Right. Like all those Israelis, just, all, a, yeah. a word about the social media space. I just yeah. want to caution us all because, on the one hand, it's part of the warfare. Yeah. It's part of the war right now is the social media war. And the funding that is going to the anti-Israel side, whether it's from yeah. China or Iran or Russia, the funding, they're a thousand to one on us. They're a thousand yeah. to one. We can't compete. And that war, we need to be in that war because the, the, the levels of lies and distortion. On the other hand, it's so toxic. It is so distorted. It is so, it, it leads to mental health issues. And I want us all to protect ourselves. Um, yeah. Those of us who see ourselves as as warriors on social media to also protect yourself. I've also encountered very dangerous people on there, yeah. um, and you know, and uh, some are Jews, some are not Jews. You know, like, like the person. Uh, I and uh, I think we have to really protect ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So I know you know we covered a lot in this conversation. We ranged the emotions of uh, of hope and and joy and and sadness and loneliness and anger. Um, you know, and, and I and I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for for your time. And I think that, you know, for me, my main takeaway here is is how to find, you know, how to balance. It's all about a balancing act. You know, um, uh, it's a little bit of a joke, but it's true. You ask a modern Orthodox person or open Orthodox person, like, you know, give it Vartor. It's like, OK, here are two tensions. Let's figure out how we live between the two. Um, but there, but there's truth to that. You know, it's it's it, there's a lot of truth to that because we have to, you know, uh, in order to to create good, we have to feel secure. Um, and in order to to kind of build allyship, we have to feel we have to be you know it's it's a um, there's a mutuality there, but it means that we have to feel anchored and rooted within our own community. And finding how to do that is, in, especially in moments like this, is incredibly uh, important, critical. It's it's difficult, and it's ongoing. It's consistent. It's not you know it doesn't end. Um, so I'm yes. I'm really grateful yes. for your insight. Thank you. Just uh, just just to conclude, I want to say three last things. One yes. is is for us to distinguish types of people we encounter. There's very something very different between a confidant and an ally. An yeah. ally is someone that can be a partner, but we shouldn't be totally vulnerable with. And, and we also need confidants, people we can be totally, totally vulnerable with, which is something different than allyship. Yeah. And then there's the neutral party, the one who is indifferent, apathetic, not informed. They're not an enemy. They're not an ally. They're not a confidant. And then there's the opposition that can be persuaded. Though those who are people of ideas. And then there's the enemy. And we have to keep the enemy and the opposition and the new and the neutral party and the ally and the confident those five categories very distinct because it's easy to say it's us 
It's them. them. No, there's a whole bunch of different ways people exist. That's the first thing of uh, the last three things I want to say. Second thing I want to say is, that, is I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful not based on some empirical reality that we know this is going to end. I'm hopeful because I think to me, be a Jew is to reject Yehush, to de reject despair, to ultimately live with a faith and emunah, a bitachon, a trust, to live with tikva, live with the hope that to be a Jew is to engage in spiritual practices that remind us of the light in the world, the goodness in the world, yeah. um, and within ourselves and within others. And I, yeah. and I invite us all who are pessimistic we see no good path to how this is going to end. It's a place of darkness, and there's no one. How could this? How could this possibly have a good ending to it? There's, there's no good conclusion, right? To engage in spiritual practices that reground ourselves in hope and faith and trust in the, in the goodness of reality, uh, of creation, uh, uh, and of the beauty of life. And the last thing I want to say is that we should all rally behind Rabbi Amitai Freeman. Um, <laughs> seriously, and, and, and the wonderful D3 project, yeah. because you are a person of nuance, you are a person of humility, and a person who balances your chesed and gavura, your strength with with your, your kindness, and the Z3 project, one that is pushing us to think and to grow and engage in the big questions and remind ourselves that how central um, Israel is to Judaism, um, how important the Zionist project is for Judaism and for the world and for human rights. So I thank you for letting me in this tiny way participate in this wonderful work you do. Lily, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Um, your time, uh, your leadership, and uh, to many more conversations. Okay. Have a happy Hanukkah.